0: Well, welcome to The Crossing today. So glad that you're here. Um, today is the most hopeful day in every football fan's year, you know, because everybody thinks this is your year, and uh, so hopefully this is your year for you, unless you're a Cowboys fan. But other than that, we're glad that you're here. Hey, let me go ahead and, uh, and move on quickly. Hey, let me uh, give a shout-out to our Southeast campus, our microsites, all those who are watching online. Can we just welcome them? Glad that you're part of The Crossing family. In this journey with us. And before we jump in, I want to let you know about something that is coming up. Um, Darla and I are hosting a trip to Israel in March. And this is the fourth trip that we have led to Israel. And here's the reason why we keep coming back and back to this place. Is we love to see the Bible come alive to people. For many of you, you've read the Bible for years. But there is something that happens when you see it with your eyes when you touch it when you smell it that there is a there is something that happens in your spiritual growth and it is a it's a powerful thing when you have the opportunity to walk in the footsteps of Jesus literally now, we're going to be going to all the significant sites. We'll be at the Sea of Galilee. Um, we'll be in Jerusalem. We'll go to the Garden of Gethsemane. We'll go to the Upper Room. Uh, we'll swim in the Dead Sea. We'll end it in the empty tomb that you'll be able to walk into the tomb the tomb, and see that it's empty. And so we're excited about this. And so after the service, I'm just going to do a just a quick info meeting right over here. And So if you're interested at all, you can meet me over there, and I'll tell you a little bit more about that. And we're just excited that we have the opportunity uh, to take a group from the crossing with us. Well, we're beginning this series on the life of David. And there is more that has been written on the life of David than any other character in the Bible outside of Jesus. Now, we're calling this series Flawed Hero. Because while David is one of the great heroes of the Bible, he was not perfect In fact, he's as well known for his epic failures as he is for his faithfulness. But in spite of that, God calls him a man after his own heart. And one of the things that I believe is so powerful about the life of David is you will see your story in his story. Because he can relate to us. We can relate to him. And so part of what we're going to see together is just how our life tracks with his life. And so if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to 1 Samuel chapter 16, we're going to be in chapter 16 and 17, and let me give you just a little bit of background to let you know where we are, is the story of David takes place about 1,000 BC, about 1,000 years before Christ, and David was never confused about who the real king of Israel was, that it was God, that God never intended for Israel to have a king that God wanted to be their king. But the Israelites saw that all of the other nations had a king, all the cool kids had a king, so they wanted a king as well. And God said, I'll let you have a king, but it's not going to go as well as you think it's going to. Well, their first king was Saul. And it was a disaster because of Saul's disobedience. God decides to remove Saul. And Samuel was the prophet. God sends Samuel to Saul, and he gives him these words right here. It says, but now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and pointed him ruler of his people because you have not kept the Lord's commands. That God sought after a man after his own heart. See, Saul was the people's king. Saul was tall. He was physically attractive. Everybody was attracted to him. But God was concerned about his heart. And because his heart was bad, God decided to remove him. So God sends Samuel to anoint a new king. And God tells him, He goes, I want you to go to the house of Jesse because I'm going to anoint one of his sons as the next king. And he said, When you come to him, I will tell you which one it is supposed to be. So we're going to start the story here in chapter 16. It says, when they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. Now Jesse introduces him to his oldest son. And Eliab is is pretty impressive. I mean, he's the class president. He's the quarterback of the football team. He walks in and Jesse says, this is my son Eliab. Now, Eliab is Hebrew for you, the man. I mean, he's just pretty impressive. (laughs) Then in verse seven, it says, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things that people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. See, God is not impressed with all of those things that we're impressed with. God is not impressed with the outward appearance. God is not impressed with what others think. God's impressed with your heart, and that's it. So Eliab is not the one that God has chosen. So Jesse starts bringing in the the next of his seven sons. Like, here's number two, not him. Number three, nope. Number four, not him. Until they run out. And Samuel says, don't you have any other sons? And Jesse says, almost as an afterthought, well, they're still the youngest. Well, in Hebrew, the literal translation, and I'm not making this one up, that for the youngest... It was was runt of the litter. It wasn't just the last born, it also meant the lowest in rank. He's out taking care of sheep. Now, I just have a question for you. How many of you here are not the firstborn in your family? You are not the firstborn. Okay, me neither. I am the youngest of four kids. How many of you have ever noticed that the firstborn receives certain unfair advantages that the other kids do not get? like the photo album. My oldest brother has a whole photo album dedicated to him. There is like four pictures of my entire childhood. And it's only because they were getting a picture of my brother and I just happened to be in the picture. Well, Samuel says, I want you to go send for David and we are not going to sit down until he gets here. It says this, it says, Then the Lord said, Rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. See, David is out taking care of sheep. Samuel says, You go get him. And he walks in and God says, That's the one. He's my man. See, God chooses the least likely to be the king. Now, I want you to imagine this scene. Because they're in the house, and there's all of David's older brothers, and every one of them saying, not this one, not this one. And David, who's kind of forgotten, he walks in. God says, this is the one. And in front of his brothers, he is anointed the next king of Israel. So what is God doing? Is God saying that firstborn kids are spoiled brats, and he likes middle or younger kids better? Well, that's obviously part of it, but it's more than that. See, God is very clear that he is not concerned with appearance or titles or resume. God is only concerned about one thing. It is your heart. It's your heart. And David is anointed king, and do you know where David went? David did not go to the palace To become the next king, he goes back out to take care of the sheep. He's 14 or 15 years old at this time, and the job description of a shepherd is to watch sheep, and it is boring. And do you wanna know what he does to pass time? He does target practice. He practices with his slingshot over and over and over again. And he will sing songs because he's a songwriter. And he'll be out there by himself singing songs to the Lord. And maybe this is where some of you are right now. Maybe this is how it feels for you. Because at one point in your life, you felt like God had something significant for you. You felt like God had a calling on your life, had something, and now it seems like God has forgotten you. You felt like you haven't heard from God in a long time. See, it was during this season of David's life that God is preparing him, and it's during this season of your life that God is preparing you, that God does his greatest work in the waiting seasons of our life. Well, fast forward a year or so. And the Israelite army, they are lined up against their arch enemies. Their arch enemies are this country called the Philistines. These people called the Philistines. Now here was the custom of war. The custom of war was instead of the armies going against each other and everybody being killed, they would send out their champion. So our champion faces off at your champion. It was like a winner take all. You know, whoever wins, then that army wins and gets to take over all of the others. Well, for the Philistines, their champion was a guy by the name of Goliath. Now, the obvious guy to face Goliath was King Saul, because King Saul is the one who stood head and shoulders above everyone else. But he's not eager to face Goliath. So Saul offers great wealth and tax-exempt status for life to whoever will fight Goliath. In addition to this, he offered his daughter in marriage that he might have been the king, but apparently he wasn't father of the year. You know, that she'd probably like, I don't want to marry this guy. But we're going to pick up the story, chapter 17. It says, a champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits and a span. Now, a cubit is from the bottom of your elbow to the top of your fingers. It's about 18 inches. And a span is from the bottom of your hand to the top of your thumb, about six inches right there. Goliath was nine and a half feet tall. It says his spear shaft was like a weaver's rod, and its iron point weighed at 600 shekels. This is about 15 pounds. Now this is not a throwing javelin. This was a killing, stabbing spear. It would be about six feet long. And Goliath, he would stand in the second rank of the army. There would be the first rank that would be in front of him. But because he was so tall, he would reach over with his spear and he would kill and kill and kill. Well, he comes out and he says this. It says, then the Philistines said." This day, I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. See, this went on for 40 days. For 40 days, Goliath taunts the Israelites. And for 40 days, they live in fear and defeat. And meanwhile, about 10 or 15 miles away, David is taking care of sheep. David's dad pulls him out of the field and he gives him food. He says, I want you to deliver this food to your brothers who are on the front lines of battle. And David gets to the front lines and he sees Goliath taunting the Israelites And so David says this, David asks the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? David steps out there and he says, who is going to go forward? What will be done for them? Because for David... For David, this is not a Goliath versus David battle. This is a Goliath versus God battle. He is defying the armies of the living God. Well, it says, When Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and asked, Why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. Well, right here is where our story begins to intersect with David's story. Because what we're going to see with David is we're going to see this confidence that happens in the face of criticism. That he begins to criticize David, his own brother begins to criticize him. And we see this confidence in the face of criticism. And haven't you found that no matter what you do, you're criticized for it. And here, like in many situations, for David, it comes to those who is closest to him. It comes from his brothers. And it oftentimes happens with us. See, I think for Eliab and his brothers, Goliath dominated their world. That every day that Goliath came out and issued a challenge, which has been happening for 40 days now, that every day that he did that, they felt more and more like a coward every day. And they lived in defeat every day. They died a little bit every time he came out. See, when we're criticized, our natural tendency is to attack the person. It's to tend to get defensive. It's just to attack them back. Every now and then, somebody will come to me and they'll say, do you know that such and such a pastor was talking bad about you in church? I'm like, yeah, I've heard that. And and I have to be honest with you, there's something inside of me that sometimes I just get online because I want to watch it. Why do we do that? Like, why do we want to watch somebody talk bad about us? But there's something in me that that I just want to know because the criticism begins to kind of eat away at us and we kind of live in it. See, and it's not just those outside, it's, it's inside as well. A few months ago, my daughter is a volunteer here at the church, and she came home from church to lunch, and she was just in tears because somebody had attacked her and criticized her about something that she couldn't control as she was serving here at the church, and it just crushed her. See, this is what criticism does criticism begins to just take something away from us but when you decide to get serious about trusting God when you decide to pursue whatever dream that is in your life when you decide to make some changes in your life there is a good chance that the people in your life are going to be threatened by that and they're not going to like it and you will face criticism It's not a matter of if you will face criticism. It's a matter of when you face it. And for David, he knew who his fight was against. And sometimes what we do is we fight the wrong battle, and the enemy is taking over our territory at that exact time. Well, David finally volunteers. He's like, I'll go fight against Goliath. I'll do this. Well, word gets back to Saul. Um, Your Majesty, I have good news and bad news. The good news is there is someone who is willing to go out and and fight Goliath. But the bad news is it's David. It's that teenage kid. We pick this story back up. Well, it says, Saul replied, You are not able to go out against the Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man, and he has been a warrior since his youth. of the living God. And right here is the second way we begin to see David's life intersecting with our life. David just has this confidence in the everyday challenges, these everyday challenges that come his way. See, developing a confident heart starts with the small stuff. Now think about this for a minute. Imagine you're David and you're watching sheep. They're not even your sheep. They're your father's sheep. And a bear comes along. You don't have a gun. You just have a big stick. No one is going to notice if you run. The sheep aren't going to tell anyone (laughs) because they're probably not going to be around after all of this is done. But developing a confident heart starts with the small things. For David, it was lions and bears. For you, maybe it's how you respond to somebody when they hurt you. Or maybe it's how you handle your money. Or maybe it's how you face a situation with your kids. Maybe it's the purity of your sexuality. It is being faithful with the small things that God prepares you for the big things. I was talking to a church planter this week, and one of the things that I just enjoy doing is just mentoring young pastors, mentoring young church planters. And he sees all that we have here he sees all of this, and I just begin to explain, we've not always had all of this. In fact, the crossing has never had explosive growth. You know, I've always seen other churches where, you know, something happens and they just explode. That's never been the story of the crossing, that we've just grown little by little over 18 years. For 18 years, we have averaged 14% growth over those 18 years every year. Some years have been higher, some years have been less. It's just this consistency. It's just facing the everyday challenges day after day, month after month, year after year, that God begins to do something. Here's the way that Jesus said it. Jesus says, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. Now, Jesus is specifically talking about money right here. What Jesus is saying is if you, are, if you are trustworthy with a little bit of money, God can trust you with more. But if you are dishonest, if you are not trustworthy with a little bit of money, then like, most likely you are not going to be trustworthy if God gives you more. But I think this principle goes beyond money. Jesus was specifically talking about money here, but I think this is a principle to life. That if you can be trusted with the small things, you can be trusted with bigger things. But if you are dishonest and untrustworthy with the small things that God has given you in your life, then you will be untrustworthy with the bigger things as well. Well, David says this. He says, The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion." And the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of the Philistine. And here's this last intersection that we see with David where our life intersects with his life. It's confidence in the moment of crisis because this is that moment. This is the moment of truth. This is when the soundtrack starts playing in the story. This is the dun, 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 dun. This is that moment right here. This will be the defining moment that will shape the rest of David's life, and he walks out to face Goliath, and here's what happens. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I've come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied this day the lord will deliver into my hand deliver you into my hands and i will strike you down and cut off your head this very day i will give the carcasses of the philistine army to the birds and to the wild animals and the whole world will know that there is a god in israel all those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or by spear that the lord saves for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. He will give all of you into our hands. See this right here, it is that, that moment of truth. And then David, he goes out, and he kills Goliath, and he takes Goliath's sword, and he cuts off his head. And instantly, David becomes the most popular man in Israel and became, becomes the most feared man among the Philistines. And for all of us, you will have the moment of crisis. You will have a moment of crisis. You will have a moment in your life that you are not prepared for, where the challenges are bigger than you and the odds seem overwhelming. But this is not a battle of David against Goliath. This is a battle of God against Goliath and there is no contest. See, one of the questions that I begin to ask With David's life right here is where did he get this confidence? He is a teenage kid. He is a teenage kid who has this confidence to step out there. Well, the confidence was not placed in him. His confidence came from the Lord, that his confidence was placed in God. And for many of us here right now, you are in a moment of uncertainty in your life, Maybe these are uncertain times economically. I was talking to a good friend of mine here at the church. And he was talking to me just about, he goes, I just don't know if I can make it. I don't know if I have enough money coming in to make it. Maybe that's your fear as well. Maybe you live with that fear every day. See, some of you are in uncertain times relationally. You wonder if God has anybody for you. And you keep praying for God to bring somebody, but he hasn't done it yet. And you wonder, could God have somebody for me? Or maybe it's in your marriage. You wonder, can it make it? Because it doesn't feel like it can make it at this moment. See, we all have those moments where we, where we wonder if God is going to show up. Does he really have a purpose for my life or has he forgotten me? See, this is not a story about David's raw courage or David's skill with a sling, or David's willingness to take a risk. This is a story about God. And this is the story of your life. See, the story of your life is not a story of your courage, or your skill, or your willingness to take a risk. It is, if you will let it be, the story of your confidence that is in the Lord that you put your trust in him. See, the interesting thing about David is is David would later in his life, he would write songs. And so not only do we have the narrative of what David did and what he said, that through the songs, we know what he was thinking, that we know his emotions, we get inside his emotions. And later on, he would document this incredible perspective where he would write these words in Psalm 25. He would say, in you, Lord, my God, I put my trust. See, and here's the question we like, where is your trust? Where is your confidence? David says, it's not in me. It's in the Lord that I put my trust. It's in the Lord that I put my confidence. He says, no one who hopes in you will ever be put to shame. And then he writes something that no other king would ask, he says, guide me in your truth and teach me for you are God, my savior, and my hope is in you all day long. That you guide me, that you teach me. See, this is where David's confidence was. And in the midst of David's confidence is this incredible spirit of humility. God, guide me I wanna walk in your path. God, teach me, teach me your ways. See, it's coming with all of you in this spirit of humility and saying, okay, God, you take over. I'm putting my trust in you. My hope is in you all day long. My hope is not in my abilities. My hope is not in my talents. It's not in my charisma. It's not in my money. It's not in my ability to get things done. My hope is in you all day long. Here's what I want to do. I want us to read this out loud together because I want this to be cemented inside of you. I want this to be your declaration today. So let's read this out loud together. In you, Lord my God, I put my trust and my hope is in you all day long. Let's read this again. In you, Lord, my God, I put my trust, and my hope is in you all day long. See, this is the secret of David's life, and this is the epicenter of our series, that David's trust was in the Lord. His hope was in the Lord. Imagine waking up Tomorrow, and making this declaration. Imagine driving to work or to school tomorrow with all the uncertainty that you face. Or imagine the moment of your greatest successes when everybody has their eyes on you and you just whisper, in you, Lord, I put my trust. My hope is in you all day long. In those moments where it look like, looks like the world has turned against you, you to say, "And you, Lord, I put my trust. My hope is in you all day long." See, David was not perfect. He was so flawed. And when David made mistakes, he, he at first he would try to control the outcomes of his life, to try to minimize the damage of his mistakes. But in the midst of all of his flaws, He never forgot where his confidence came from. He never confused himself with the king. With the king. It's in you, Lord. Lord, I put my trust in you. My hope is in you. And here's what I want to do. I want us to pray together. But I want to give you an opportunity to make that declaration to God. Just to say to God, God, in you I put my trust. My hope is in you all day long. Maybe this is a moment for some of you because the truth is you've trusted a lot of things about yourself and what God is pushing you in is to finally trust him. To trust him with whatever the next step is. Wherever God wants to guide you, And whatever God wants to teach you, he's just nudging you, saying, put your hope in me. I won't let you down. So I just want you just to bow your heads and just close your eyes, and I'm just going to give you a moment to make that declaration. In you, Lord, I put my trust. My hope is in you all day long. Make that declaration to God right now. God, that's our prayer. God, for a lot of us, we have trusted in so many different things. And today we're declaring, in you, Lord, we put our trust. That our hope is in you. So God, I pray that you would just take this moment right now. You would begin to to shift us, shift our life as we begin to trust you. God, you would help us to feel your presence. God, thank you for your faithfulness to us. Thank you for using this story to teach us. God, thank you that these promises apply to us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.